If you have a copy of the Bible in front of you this morning, or you have the Bible in your phone, and you would want to open to Mark chapter 10, we're going to be looking. I know Mark chapter 10 is not the most traditional Christmas passage, but we're going to make some connections to that passage in the next few minutes. And so Mark chapter 10 is what we're going to be looking at this morning from God's Word, and we'll connect Mark chapter 10 to the Christmas story as we, as we go along. Last night at our Christmas Eve service, this process of making a paper chain, it got out of control on us a little bit. <laughs> we had uh, about 100 kids up here at the front, and so this process, it took a little time to make our paper chain. And last night, two little girls came and just sat themselves right here on the, uh, on the top step and decided they weren't gonna move. So I thought I was gonna have two people helping me with the sermon the entire time, and then I turned around and a little guy had positioned himself behind me on stage, so we had all kinds of things uh, happening last night. So I just carried on a conversation with these two little girls that sat right here on the, on the top step last night, which was a lot of fun. All right, our paper chain is, is coming along. Thank you, teenagers, as well, for, for helping with this, and Pastor Cody for handing out the, uh, the fruit snacks. If you all have been around Emmaus for, for a while, you know that one of the things that we enjoy most about our church family is just the multi-generational connections in the church. From the very youngest to the very oldest, everybody involved in ministry together, that what our teenagers do, what our kids do, is part of the church. They're not separated off, they're not another church. We are all in this together. And, and just to me as a pastor, that's one of the things I love most uh, about our church family. And as we go along during the sermon today, there's some other things about the church, who we are as Emmaus, that I hope to be able to, to share with you as well. Thank you guys for putting that, putting that together for us. We already have Christmas decorations for next year uh, with, our, uh, with our paper chain here, so that's, that's fantastic. Let me start out by putting a question in front of you that this is going to be the question for our message today, for our sermon today. And here's the question. This is the question that I probably dread most at Christmas. What do you want? So somebody asks you, what do you want for, for Christmas? Now some of you, you've been preparing this year's Christmas list since last Christmas. Like you don't have any trouble deciding what you want at Christmas. You know exactly what you want at Christmas. For other people, you might have a family or you might have a friendship where one person says, where do you want to go eat? And the other person says, I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? And then they ask, well, where do you want to go eat? And you say, well, I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? And it takes 10 or 15 minutes to find out where you want to go eat because nobody, nobody wants what the, knows what they want. Uh, I think about that little Ralphie character, the little boy from the Christmas Story movie, where he gets in front of Santa and he can't think exactly what he wants and so he asks for a football and then as he's getting kicked down the slide he realizes, oh yeah, I wanted that Red Rider air rifle gun. Like that's what I really wanted for Christmas. Watch this quick little video to see how your birth order, how you were born into your family, might impact the way you make a Christmas list. I think my Christmas list is finished. I want so many things. Mine's been done for weeks. Wow, impressive. I'm keeping it simple this year. Just asking for one thing. I've circled 65 things. Well, boys, it's a strategy to make sure you get what you want. You always get what you want. Let's hope that continues. What are you asking for? I'm asking for a gigantic iPad that you can hang on the wall. So, a TV? Sure, if that's what you want to call it. 
It's for my room. That's not fair. I don't even have a TV in my room. Where are the TVs in this thing? I love that guy's Instagram account so much, TJ Therian, because the reason I love his Instagram account so much is I'm the oldest of three boys, and for whatever reason, we've just about nailed the stereotypes about birth order in, in our family where the first kid, you know, we've got it all together as first kids. Everything's got to be just right. Everything's got to be perfect. The second child uh, tends to be a little bit more free-spirited. You know, they kind of go out doing their own thing, doing as much as they possibly can. And then the third kid, you're just glad they're with you. You're just glad you can, you can find the third kid as they come along. And so this question, what do you want, is such an important spiritual question. And I would put in front of you, it's the question that we need to be asking about Christmas, but it's not about what kind of presents do you want, it's what do you want God to do in your life? And I wanna show you this question from Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. And so we're just gonna work through these verses a little bit. I wanna make some Christmas connections as we go. We'll take our time working our way through these verses. But it starts out in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and it says, they came to Jericho, Jesus and the people who were with him. And as they were leaving Jericho, as Jesus was leaving Jericho, he's leaving with his disciples and a great crowd. Now, I know that just gets us started, but let's, let's stop for a second with, with that phrase. What's going on here in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus, from the very beginning of the Gospel, has been traveling, and he's encountered three different groups. He's encountered the religious leaders who are always pushing back against him. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're all, always standing in his way. He encounters crowds, and the crowds are interested in Jesus. They're curious about what's going on, but you really never know if they're with Jesus or not. One day they're with Jesus, the next day they're not with him, and they're always going back and forth. And then there's the disciples. And the Gospel of Mark is trying to help us understand what does it mean to be part of Jesus' disciples? What's going on here? Jesus is on this journey that's gonna take him to Jerusalem. It's gonna take him to the cross. And what Mark's Gospel is showing us is the path to the cross is how Jesus shapes his disciples. The process of following Jesus to the cross is the process of becoming more like him. So the more we understand the cross, the more we understand where Jesus is going and we walk with him, the more we become his people. The problem is, the problem is, as the crowds and disciples have been following Jesus, they're just not getting it. They're not understanding what he came to do. They want the glory, they want the success, they want all these things for themselves. They don't understand the cross, and so Jesus, as he's going to the cross, is in the process of trying to help the disciples understand what it really means to follow him. So watch what happens in the middle of this verse as they're leaving Jericho. Who do they encounter here? Well, they encounter a man named Bartimaeus. Who is Bartimaeus? He is a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, who is sitting by the roadside. Okay, so here's Jesus taking the crowds, taking the disciples toward Jerusalem, helping them understand who he is, what he's come to do, and they encounter here a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now, when you see here that Bartimaeus is blind and a beggar, you need to understand that in this culture, in this situation, he would have been considered a social outcast. His blindness most likely would have been associated with sin. Either he sinned 
or someone in his family sinned and his family's being cursed, in some way, his blindness is associated with sin and evil in the world. When you see Bartimaeus here as a social outcast, I think you can make a connection with the Christmas story. And I think the connection with the Christmas story would be the shepherds. Because remember, in the Christmas story, the shepherds who these angels appear to and they begin to see who Jesus is going to be and they are gonna to go to Bethlehem and they're gonna meet Jesus. These shepherds, they're outcasts. They are social outcasts. Their occupation has pushed them away from society, has pushed them away from people. They're considered nobodies. They're literally pushed out into the fields in the same way that Bartimaeus is pushed to the side of the road. And from the very beginning of Jesus's life, who does he show up to? The people who are pushed to the side. From the very beginning of Jesus's life, all throughout his ministry, he is seeking out the outcast. He is seeking out those who have nothing to bring. I think when you see Bartimaeus here as the blind beggar, I think one of the things that Mark wants us to do is Mark wants us in our minds to set up a contrast between blind Bartimaeus and the rich young ruler who was just mentioned in Mark chapter 10 a few verses before. Because that rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, he has all the money. And he has done almost everything right in his life. He would have been considered good by the people. And here's Bartimaeus, who has no money to bring to the table. He's considered evil, an outcast. And who does Jesus go to? He goes to Bartimaeus. He turns to him in this situation. Here's the other thing I want to point out about Bartimaeus and this, this story of Jesus healing a blind man here. What Mark is doing with this story in his gospel is he's putting the second piece of bread on the sandwich, all right? Mark loves sandwiches. I don't know what you're gonna have for Christmas lunch today, but I could suggest sandwiches to you, okay? So it would be a very spiritual thing. It would be a very biblical thing if you went home today and, and had sandwiches. And may I suggest even more, a grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, those of you who have not been around Emmaus for a long time, might not know that the way that I wooed my beautiful golfing wife in college was by inviting her over for grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, and if it sounds complicated, remember I made this in college, all right? So when we just ate taquitos and waffles and cereal, and so added to that grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that you make like a grilled cheese sandwich, and the peanut butter and jelly gets warm in the middle and mixes together, whatever you're having for lunch, Grilled peanut butter and jelly, okay? That's, that's what you want. So why make a big deal about sandwiches? All throughout Mark's gospel, all throughout Mark's gospel, he loves to start a story, interrupt it, and then come back and finish the story. And the reason Mark does that is the two pieces on the outside help us understand what's going on on the inside. And so in this situation, Mark told us in Mark chapter 8 about a blind man who was healed. And then he let us watch the disciples follow Jesus for a little while. And you know who the disciples look like? They look like spiritually blind people. And then Mark comes back around at the end of Mark chapter 10, and you know what he gives us? Another healing of a blind man. Why? Because he wants us to ask the question, will these disciples ever see who Jesus is? That's the question we have to ask ourselves at Christmas. Do we 
truly see who Jesus is? Have our eyes been miraculously opened to him, or are we like the crowds and the disciples who they've been struggling? They, they don't get what's going on here. So what happens in verse 47? What happens when he heard, this blind man heard, that it was Jesus of Nazareth who was coming? He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now here, we got another Christmas connection. And, and I hope I'm not straining too hard to make Mark chapter 10 connect with Christmas because I think this is a legitimate Christmas connection here. When he is crying out, son of David, that phrasing connects back to the promises that were made at Christmas. That Jesus would come as part of the family of David, as the lineage of David, that we find that Joseph, his story connects back to David. And this promise that the son of David would come, this is the promise in the Old Testament that God would send a king, a Messiah, a Christ, who would rescue his people. And this blind man who can't see physically, he picks up on something spiritually. He's heard about Jesus in Nazareth. He's heard about his teaching. He's heard about his healing. He's heard about his power. And he picks up on the fact that this Jesus of Nazareth, this might be the son of David who has been sent to rescue us. He is coming as the king who's going to drive out the Romans and rule over God's people. And this guy, he gets excited about it. So how do the people respond to that? Well, verse 48, they rebuked him. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cries out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So the crowds and the disciples who are with Jesus, they hear this Bartimaeus, this blind man, crying out about Jesus, son of David, and they're like, ooh, don't, don't be saying that. Now the question is, why do they rebuke him? Why, why are they doing this? Well, I think one of the reasons they're doing this is because if they're entering Jerusalem and the rulers and leaders in Jerusalem find out that someone is proclaiming the son of David is coming, that's gonna cause a lot of trouble in Jerusalem. So the reason the disciples and the crowds don't want him yelling about Jesus, son of David, is because if this son of David language makes it to Jerusalem, it's gonna cause chaos in the city. Because remember, this is the promise that the king is coming, that the rescuer is coming, he's gonna drive out the Romans, and they don't wanna cause that kind of chaos. But also remember, just a few verses before this, who else was trying to get to Jesus? Not just the blind man, but there was a group of kids. People were trying to bring these children to Jesus, and what did the disciples do? They tried to stop them. They said, no, 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 you, you can't come to Jesus. Hear me out on this. This is something that's so important to us at Emmaus, and, and we need to hear that, th this lesson, every one of us. Sometimes, the religious people are the ones who most get in the way of people coming to Jesus who most need to get to Jesus. Sometimes in our pride, sometimes in our desire to keep up a certain image, sometimes in our desire not to have chaos or trouble break out, we as the religious people, we as churches, we as Christians, we stand in the way of those who most need to get to Jesus. And I just want to say that for Emmaus, we do not want to be known for that. We want to be known. This is what Amanda was trying, was saying, saying earlier. What she wanted to communicate to you is this idea that we want Emmaus to be a place that if someone is hurting, 
someone doesn't have all the answers, if life feels broken, that you can come and just find a hug. You can come and find someone to pray for you. You can come and find a chance to ask questions. You can come and just sit and be loved on and be cared for and hear the word of God spoken over you. That in this situation, these disciples and these crowds who are traveling with Jesus, they're getting in the way of the social outcast being able to come and experience the power of Jesus. So how does Jesus respond to this? What does he do in verse 50? Or verse 49, I'm sorry. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. I don't wanna make too much of this, but I think this is important to pick up on. And, and let's be crystal clear here, I'm preaching to myself very clearly at this point. Jesus is on a mission. Like he's got some place to go. He has some place that he is focused on getting. He's getting to Jerusalem that's gonna lead him to the cross. Here's this person to the side of the road that's hurting, and what does Jesus do? He stops. He cancels his plans, he slows down his trip, and he stops and pays attention to this blind man. Some of us who are a little more task-oriented in life, like we like to check boxes, and we've got places to go, and it would be better if other people didn't get in our way, we need to hear the word of the Lord saying, stop. Let God interrupt your plans. Let God slow down your journey. Let God open your eyes to people who are hurting around you. Now, here's Jesus. His eyes are focused on the cross, and this blind man, this outcast by the side of the road, cries out, and Jesus stops and says, he gets my attention. He gets my attention in this situation. Verse 51 Verse 50, I keep getting ahead of myself by a verse. Verse 50, what does the man do? Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Before Jesus arrives, he's sitting in the dust, not doing anything. No hope, no love, no joy, no peace. Jesus shows up, and this guy springs up and goes into action. Some of us have been sitting alongside the road too much. You've been sitting on the sideline, and the message of Christmas is get up. Jesus is speaking to you. Jesus is calling you out of the dust, saying, get up. There's hope, there's joy, there's peace, there's love. You've been called to something. Get up and go do it. Verse 51. I was trying to get to verse 51. We made it. Verse 51. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? There's the question. There's the Christmas question. Jesus shows up and says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, let's be clear here. Jesus is not a genie. Kids, you can write that down or just stick it in your minds. Remember this, Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. We don't just rub the lamp, Jesus pops out, and we get three wishes. That's, that's not how we think about Jesus. Jesus is to be worshiped, not manipulated. That Jesus comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he does love to do good things for his people. And so when he asked this man, what do you want me to do for you? What makes that question so scary is it reveals our heart. The way you answer that question, when Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you, it reveals a lot about what's going on in our heart because it says what we want most. What does this man want most? He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. 
Now you might think, well, of course he says that. What, what else is he going to ask for at this point? He's blind, he's hurting. But don't miss, all throughout the Gospel of Mark, people have given some really strange answers to Jesus. Like Jesus has offered them this incredible life, and they've asked for glory in his kingdom, or they've asked for all these surprising things. They haven't understood what he's truly come to do. This man says, I just want to see. He recognizes what is holding him back from living the life that God has in front of him. And he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Let, let me see. So what happens in verse 52? Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Okay, two things I'd want to point out to you from this verse. This is, this is what beautiful verse in the Bible. Two things I'd want to point out to you. The word for being made well, that's the same word that's used in the New Testament for being saved. It's the New Testament word for salvation. When Jesus comes and he drives out this man's blindness, he opens his eyes miraculously, the word that's used there by Mark is he is saved. Now, is it physical salvation, his eyes have been opened, or is it spiritual salvation, he's been saved from his sins? Can we vote for both? <laughs> I'd, like to go, I'd like to go for both because I think that's exactly what Mark is communicating here. Remember, how would people have seen blindness and people not being able to walk and people not being able to hear, not being able to speak, how would they have understood those things in this culture? These were spiritual realities. There were dark spiritual forces at work. This was evil working itself out in the world and Jesus comes to drive those things out. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it says that when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf, deaf will be open. The lame will rise up and leap. Those whose tongues cannot speak will shout for joy. These are the types of things that happen when the Messiah comes to save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what's happening in this situation. This man's eyes are open physically, but his heart is open spiritually. He can see in a way he never could see before. And what does he do as a result? He follows Jesus on the way. If you spent any time with us at Emmaus going through the Gospel of Mark, this should be celebration moment. Like this is where all the fireworks go off and you underline this passage as many times as you can because this, this is what Mark has been pointing out. This is his phrase, we're following Jesus on the way. On the way to cross, on the way to the cross, and on the way to eternal life. And this man, when he has faith and he can see, what does he do? He gets up and he follows Jesus on the way that's going to lead to the cross and that's going to lead to eternal life. Do you remember, speaking of Christmas gifts, do you remember back in the 90s, the, the 1900s, back in the 1900s, do you remember those things that were called magic eyes, those magic eye books where you would look at the page and you didn't see the image there? There was just these strange figures and shapes, and then some people who had voodoo power could like put it up really close to their, their face and extend it out from them, and all of a sudden this 3D image jumped off the page. You guys remember those? Those were, uh, those were fascinating, and it was, it was so uh, frustrating when your friend could see the image and you couldn't see it, and you just had to make up what you thought was there because you couldn't be the one who was unable to see that image. I think about those magic eye books and being able to see the image that's hidden in those shapes I think people feel that way spiritually a lot of times. I think there are people around us who they see you go to church 
and they see you talk about Jesus, and they see you read your Bible, and when they look at the Bible, or when they look at church, or when they think about faith, they just see this weird series of shapes on a page. But there's a time and a place in our lives where God opens our eyes spiritually and we are able to see. And what I'd like to do for you this Christmas is I want you to see three things from this passage that the Lord wants you to see this Christmas. So this Christmas, what do you want Jesus to do for you? This Christmas, I want, number one, this Christmas, I want to see my need. This blind man, Bartimaeus, he understands what his greatest need is. He needs to be able to see. One of the challenges in life is we have to be able to see what our greatest need is. We have to be able to see what we most lack on our own. And then, after we see that need, we're able to see where the solution has come. If you're involved in business uh, or, or working in a company, one of the most important things you can do is try to figure out what is the most important thing going on here. Where do I need to give my attention? Because what happens in life, what happens in business, is we get focused on good things and we miss what is most important. And I think this happens to people spiritually. Because there are people around us and they're blinded to spiritual things by all of these good things in their lives. All this abundance we have, all these things that make us busy. I mean, how many people do we know busyness on the calendar keeps them from seeing how much they need the Lord? All the things we have, the good gifts we've been given in our life, keep us from seeing that every one of us face the need of overcoming sin and brokenness and death. And we have been blinded, the New Testament says, not only by the things of this world, we've been blinded by the ruler of this world, is what the New Testament says, and we need our eyes to be spiritually open, which points to number two. So at Christmas, I wanna know my need, I wanna see my need, and secondly, I wanna see Jesus. This Christmas, my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus more clearly than you ever have before. That maybe you've been around church for a long time, you've read your Bible before, but this Christmas you feel like, oh my goodness, my eyes are open. Uh, one of, you know, selfishly, one of our favorite stories at Emmaus is Luke chapter 24, where after the resurrection of Jesus, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with these two guys, and they don't see who he is. They don't know what's going on, but Jesus speaks to them from the scriptures, and he sits down, and he has a meal with them, and the scripture says their eyes are open, and they came to understand who was with them, who Jesus was. My hope for you this Christmas is that you would see Jesus more clearly than ever before. That you would know that he is the one through whom all things were created. He is God with us. He came to take on flesh, to be tempted as we're tempted, to suffer as we suffer, in order to die in our place, to take our place. He is the Savior who bears the sins of the world. He's the servant of God who fulfills God's purposes for his people from the Old Testament. He's the one who comes to die for us in our place. He is the one who has overcome sin and death and makes possible eternal life. That you would know that Jesus is not just a religious character at Christmas, but he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is due all of our worship. And the reason that matters is because our deepest need, we can't overcome on our own. 
There are a lot of things in life that we could try to deal with on our own, but none of us is gonna overcome our sin and the reality of death. And Jesus has dealt with both of those. That's the gift of Christmas, is that our eyes would be open and we would see Jesus for who he truly is, the king that we worship for all of eternity. And when you see your need and you see Jesus, guess what you see next? You see the steps you need to take. This blind man, Bartimaeus, he saw his need, he saw Jesus, and he saw his next step. What were his next steps? Well, from verse 52, we know that he had faith, he put his trust in Jesus, and then he got up and he followed Jesus on the way. Here's my question for you this Christmas. What is your next step in faith? What is the next thing that the Lord is calling you to do? You might be looking into 2023, and because of things going on in your life, it's pretty foggy about what you need to do next in life. Like you're, you're looking into 2023, and you know that when you put that first page of the calendar in front of you, there's gonna be a cute dog on the calendar, but you have no idea what's beyond that. Like you're just thinking, Lord, I thank you for that cute dog on the January page of the 2023 calendar, but I have no idea what's coming next. Here's the reality. When you put your faith in Jesus, and when you follow him each step of the way, he'll lead you exactly where you need to go. But the question we have to ask is, Lord, would you open our eyes so that you would show me what my next step is in life? A lot of times, uh, high, school college, high school students, college students, will, will come to me in my office as pastor, and they'll ask me, hey pastor, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know where to go to college? How do I know who to marry? How do I know what to do next in life? And what I always tell them is the best way to know God's long-term plan for your life is just to do the next thing he's calling you to do. Just take the next step. Because when we look at life as a whole, when we look at everything that's in front of us, uh, we were thinking about this recently. Did you know the next time Christmas lands on a Sunday morning is 11 years from now? Do you know how terrifying it is to think about what happens in the next 11 years? When you have young kids and you're thinking about all the things in front of you and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't think of 11 hours, much less 11 years from now. When we get overwhelmed by the future, when we get overwhelmed by the future, we're drawn back to just take the next step that God's calling you to take. Just do the next thing he's leading you to do. How does God open our eyes? How does he do this? How does this process happen of going from blind to being able to see? There's kind of three ideas I want to put in front of you as we close. What does God want to use in your life this next year to open your eyes, to see your need, to see Jesus, to see the next step to take in life? First, don't miss the gift of good friends and a church family who will walk alongside you in this process. The book of Proverbs tells us that there's a lot of wisdom in a group of good counselors, that you need people around you who are gonna come and say, I think I see God doing this in your life. I, I think I see this happening in your life. The Holy Spirit in my life often sounds surprisingly like my wife. I don't know how that works, but when you're looking, listening for the Holy Spirit's voice, uh, the Holy Spirit often sounds like my wife or sounds like a good friend or sounds like a church family who comes around us. Maybe it's been a long time since you opened your Bible and prayed. And this year, you tell your, you just say, this year I need to open my Bible. 
I need to pray because I need to have my eyes open to what God's calling me to do, to be able to see who Jesus truly is. And it might be that this next year, God does a miracle in your life where you go from blind to being able to see because you see God's goodness at work in your life. You see God's faithfulness at work in your life. As we think about Christmas, my hope for you this year at Christmas is that you would see how good God is and that you would see that Jesus is your savior and you would see the power of the Holy Spirit and you would see the gift of the church and you would see the urgency of this message going to all people, that we would go from darkness to light, from blindness to being able to see. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 42, we find the promise that when the Messiah comes, he will lead the blind in ways they have not known, and he will lead his people from darkness into light. And as we wrap up our Christmas service, we want to be able to celebrate that through a candle lighting. So we are, after I pray, we're gonna turn off the lights, and we're gonna begin to pass the candlelight around. And as you see the room go from dark to light, I want you to connect that reality with what God wants to do in our lives, taking us from blind to being able to see, from darkness to light. That this imagery of going from dark to light in this room, it would be a picture of what God wants to do in your life this year. God, help me to see my greatest need, help me to see Jesus, and help me to see the step of faith I need to take next. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of Christmas. God, thank you for the way that when you sent your son Jesus, he didn't come to those who had the most to give. He didn't come to those who were most important in the eyes of the world. God, so much of the Christmas story is the fact that when you took on flesh, when you sent your son Jesus, that he came to those least expected those who were considered outcasts in so many ways. And Father, when Jesus came, he opened our eyes to see who you truly are, to see your salvation. And so Father, I pray this morning, on Christmas morning, that you would open our eyes. God, if there are those of us here who don't truly see our need, who don't truly see Jesus, who don't see that next step we need to take, God, open our eyes today. Open our eyes in the years to come. And God, thank you that you take us from darkness to light. And as we celebrate that, as we remember that over the next few minutes, God, what we see happening in this room, let that happen in our hearts. Let that happen in our church. Let that happen in our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.